Hi, I'm Mac. Hi, I'm Abigail. And this is Unsubs. This is the podcast where we recap, rate, and review all 324 episodes of Criminal Minds. And today, we're talking Season 3, Episode 11, Bird Right. I, like, really was ready to just go to Israel on this episode. (laughs) Uh, I have a fun fact. Are you ready? Yeah. I am... I am not a religious person at all, um, but I am technically so Jewish that I could go to Israel for free on that birthright trip. Actually, I might be too. Mm. But I'm not practicing. <laughs> I'm not going. My friend tried to get me to go. She was like, it'd be fun. And I was like, no. Oh, my God. I didn't want that to be my fun fact, but here we are. I have another fun fact. Okay, go for it. Um, I have become obsessed with. Okay, here I, the thing. This this really like is just like Abby because has a hyperfixation and then just makes everyone who listens to unsubs deal with it. Um, because I feel like that's what happened with like Amigo the Devil and like some other stuff. Oh my god, I love. Amigo the Devil. It, isn't he so good, though? <laughs> He's so good, though. Um, So, I have a podcast recommendation this time. <gasps> oh, um, shit. Yeah, so I have, beca- due to some events in my life, I have become obsessed with researching multi-level marketing schemes. Um, And I found an a podcast and it was like talking about like you know is this a cult like our mlms a cult and then they recommended this other series which is called the dream which is a full-scale investigative podcast uh, by jane marie who worked on this american life and it's she is going and like interviewing and traveling and like meeting all these people Uh, who are involved with like multi-level marketing schemes who have like you know found success in them or like fallen victim to them and like one of her producers like fully joins an mlm undercover like in the podcast (laughs) and it is freaking riveting like i am obsessed i blew for through the first season because this is like a 10 episode season and now I'm in the second season, which is talking about, like, wellness, like, air quotes, wellness and MLMs and, like, how those are so intrinsically linked. And, like, I, it is riveting. I am obsessed. I highly recommend it to everyone. Oh, I will definitely check it out. And we will link it in the show notes. Yes. It's really, really cool. And I am... I've learned so much about MLMs. It's insane. Okay, well, I'm going to say that as a disclaimer, we are in no way, shape, or form associated with the television show Criminal Minds. But one day we will be the longest running Criminal Minds podcast and we will be associated. So our rating criteria is always at a, a grand total of 100 points. Each category can get 20 
These categories are criminal slash serial killer, character development and character arcs, forensics and context, script writing, and background characters. Ooh, are you guys ready for birthright? I'm ready. I took so many notes. Okay, here we go. We open in Fredericksburg, Virginia. It is daytime. We see the vague outlines of a building in the distance. This is all of five seconds, and then we have a quick fade to night. Now we've cut to a college party. There are kegs and bad music and people standing around awkwardly. Everyone is discussing the disappearance of Julie Stanton. One of the girls at the party, Molly McCarthy, tells everyone that Julie probably just ran off somewhere and got away from the small town. One of Molly's fellow partygoers, a kid named Danny, then emerges from the woods covered in blood. He looks like he's bleeding and he's been stabbed in the neck. And he scares the shit out of Molly. He scares the shit out of me. Um, but he's just playing, you know, how show up to the party. If if your party doesn't have a kid pretending to be stabbed in the neck, then I'm not going. You would like the parties that Diggs has. Oh, oh, yes, I would. <laughs> uh, so Molly's pissed. She throws a beer at Danny and she goes off with her boyfriend, Justin, to canoodle in the woods, as one does. Because nothing gets a girl horny like being scared to death at a shitty party. Uh, There's a little foreplay happening in the woods. Justin says, if you want me drunk and naked, just say it. And she says, I shouldn't have to try so hard. As they're getting drunk and naked, they hear rustling sounds close by and they assume it's Danny clowning again. Justin goes off to find Danny and give him a piece of his mind, and Molly just keeps undressing. But when Justin returns, Molly is gone. And then Danny tackles Justin from behind, but Danny wasn't clowning. He doesn't have Molly. Molly is gone. So that'll fucking teach you. I bet you that's the last time he ever fucking plo- like does that stabbed in the neck stunt at a party. Cut to BAU headquarters in Quantico, Virginia. JJ presents Molly's missing persons case to the team. We learn that Molly is the third person, uh, she means third white female, to go missing in the past six weeks. And no offense, but they show a picture of the three missing women together, and the girl on the left is wearing way too much rouge. Like, it's a bad headshot. Girl, it's too much. It's too much, girl. Uh, My... I wrote, is that your headshot? Might need to rethink that. That's okay. That's what I was wondering is with these missing photos and stuff like that in this in Criminal Minds, do you think they like have the actor pose in character to take the photo or do they just use their audition headshot? Because I feel like they'd be too cheap for a character that just kind of shows up as a body to like have it done. But I could be super wrong. I think they probably use headshots because they all look kind of professionally done and like well-litted, lighted, well-lighted, well-lit, well-lit, <laughs> well-lit. Um, it might I depend. Don't know. Yeah, it might yeah. depend. Anyways, all the victims disappeared from public places and were never seen again alive. 
A couple days ago, body parts with cigarette burns were recovered from a national park. The police ID'd um, the first victim, the one with the bad headshot. Although she was taken six weeks ago, the level of decomp on her body indicated that she had only just been killed. So she was kept somewhere for six weeks. As if this isn't horrific enough, this is not the first time a woman has been dismembered in Fredericksburg, Virginia. In, in 1980, five women of varying ages were kidnapped and murdered around the same area, and similar tool markings were found on the most recent body that were found back in 1980 on the older bodies. And these bodies from 1980 were left in the same exact National Park site that this recent body of the Too Much Rouge actress. Well, anyway, it's the same... It's. It seems like it's the same killer is what I'm trying to say. It is currently 2007, which means a 27-year uh, cooling off period. Hotch mentions BTK because, of course, he does. Um, and he says 25 years is a long cooling off period, even though we've just established that it was 27 years. But okay, go off. Cut to a barn. Molly is tied up to a chain hanging from the ceiling, like a meat hook, basically. The unsub then brings in Julie Stanton, the missing girl from earlier. Um, so if you can imagine the three pictures we saw, we saw too much Rouge girl. We saw Molly and we saw Julie. So Julie has been kept for a while. The unsub then turns on honky tonk music and tells Julie to show Molly what to do. Julie looks like shit, obviously. She's. This was, weren't we going to make merch? Like, if I was held captive, I would still look hot or some kind of merch? It's probably in poor taste, but we did joke about it. <laughs> okay, well, anyways. Uh, Julie turns to Molly, starts crying, starts dancing, and says, It's a party. Yeah, hell yeah, it is. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Cancel me now. Gimme, gimme, gimme the honky tonk -tonk news. Yes. Reed and JJ driving in a car, and Reed, a profiler for the Elite Behavioral Analysis Unit of the FBI, says, quote, The killer has an obvious disregard for women. Killer has an obvious disregard for women. (laughs) No shit! (laughs) Jesus Christ. You have to have, you have to find a dismembered body in a national park to know this? Okay. JJ seems out of sorts. She's distracted. She keeps rubbing her head and she's just seeming off. At the crime scene, we meet Sheriff Valentine. Uh, Hotch talks to... um, I'm only bringing up Sheriff Valentine because he gives us some, like, background information later, but he's not super relevant to this case. I just kind of like the the name. Um, Hotch talks to JJ um, because he's noticed that she's kind of off And he says, it's okay if you lose it every once in a while. These cases remind us that we're human. 
Morgan Prentice and Rossi head to the Fredericksburg Fredericksburg police station where we meet John Caulfield. Um, He was the original detective on the case. Sheriff Valentine tells us that John Caulfield was basically broken by this case um, and the the police forced him into early retirement because the 1980s case was never solved. Um, and I guess he started drinking and his wife left him and, you know, the typical white older male detective story. Back at the barn, Julie asks Molly if everyone thought that she just ran away. And Molly is like, yeah, bitch. (laughs) She doesn't actually say that, but that's the vibe. Yeah. (laughs) The unsub then shows up and is ready for another party. Blues is playing, but Julie does not want to party. Uh, and we watch the unsub dragging Julie away as Molly screams. Um, we then pull out and see that Molly is locked inside a cave somewhere deep in the woods. the next day and julie's dismembered body has been found in the national park apparently even though all of the victims have been found in the park there isn't isn't enough police to patrol the area even though everyone specifically knows that this is where the killer will definitely be dragging dismembered bodies they're just like nope we can't we can't put a park under surveillance (laughs) you wouldn't put a park under surveillance Garcia finds a complaint filed by a woman named Karen Foley from the next county over. Supposedly, Karen was kidnapped in 1979, but escaped. And a lot of the things that she reports to having been done to her sound similar to what um, happened to the women in 1980 and potentially the dismembered bodies just found. So... Morgan and Prentice show up at Karen Foley's house to question her, and they come in pretty hot. They're like, so you've heard about the murdered women in Fredericksburg? And Karen is like, duh, yeah, I have a television. And Morgan is like, we think the same unsub abducted you in 1979. And Karen is like, what? I was never abducted. I made it up. And Prentice is like, you're our best shot. And they're like being super aggressive to Karen. And Karen says, I am not a lead. And she slams the door in their face. And I'm like, good for you, Karen. Like fucking shut them down. Like they're busting into your life, demanding that you become available. Like, I don't like the way she's treated in this episode. I don't like the way like a lot of these char- like side characters are treated in this episode. So the BAU discussed Karen Foley's recanting of her story and her overall attitude. The BAU just showed up at her door um, and we're talking about the fact that she was kidnapped in 1979 and she is not concerned at all about the unsub getting retribution or coming for her. And Rossi is like, she's not concerned about the unsub because she knows he's dead. 
which leads Rossi to realize that the unsub was likely a local to the area who died around the time of the investigation and that retired detective and eligible bachelor John Caulfield. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this was the guy who really got me. I Um, know. I put the line in later. You can say it. There's a line. There's a John Caulfield line that's just... It really just got me so right. I I know. Um... (laughs) Um, anyway, so they think that John Caulfield can narrow down the list of suspects from the original case and and tell them basically who the unsub was. So now they're thinking that there are two separate unsubs, one that died, and now there's a new unsub. So they remind Mr. Caulfield um, from, about the profile from 1980. Abby, if you want to share this. Yes, yeah, so he was a local um in his mid-20s uh and this person quote left after the last victim was found in december of 1980 so they're saying joined the military went to prison sold his property etc or you know died um he was reckless in his personal life. He would have been a drinker. He would have had arrests for DUIs. But he also would have been meticulous and may have had areas of control that were both private. Um, one to torture and one to confine his victims. So they're like, it could be a workshop or a barn or a garage. So John Caulfield, or should I say eligible bachelor John Caulfield... John tells the BAU that the original unsub was Robert Wilkinson. Robert died in December of 1980 after he fell into a combine harvester, which sounds terrifying. Uh, But I guess he did kill five women and dismember their bodies and left them in a national park. Don't, don't do it in a national park. If you got to do it, don't do it in the national. I'm sorry. Cancel me. I'm going to keep going. Uh, So the killing stopped directly after he died. But I guess eligible bachelor John Caulfield didn't put it together, even though this case ruined him and caused him to be retired early from the police force. He didn't put it together. Listen, trauma does it to you. The BAU learned that Robert Wilkinson is survived by a widow, Mary Wilkinson, So now they know who the original unsub is. They just have to find out who the current unsub is. And obviously, because a lot of the details from the original crimes were not made public, there has to be some sort of like deep-rooted connection between Robert Wilkinson and whoever the current unsub is. Eligible Bachelor and Sheriff Retiree John Caulfield and Rossi show up at Mary Wilkinson's house. And Caulfield is like, we're here about Robert. And Mary says, well, he's been dead for 27 years. What could he have done? And Rossi goes, murdered five women in 1980. And Mary's like, hmm. Abby made a great point earlier that Rossi just shouts every time he talks. Oh my God. I was going to talk about that in my episode, but I love him because he just, he doesn't, talk it just always seems like he's bellowing but he's not so he's like most men who are widowed young consider themselves victims it's like the way that he says all so that's how we're gonna be reading rossi quotes from now on we're gonna be yelling them 
Oh, I have a great Rossi quote. I have a great Rossi quote in the next episode. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Uh, it's the season of the Rossi for the rest, the whole other nine seasons of this. It's all Rossi all the time. I'm so excited. Uh, we are but travelers in this Rossi ride. <laughs> oh my God. Most women who are widowed young consider themselves victims. And Mary's like, I, I don't feel sorry for myself. She tells the BAU that she actually left Robert right before he died. She was pregnant and concerned about the baby. And she moved back in with her parents because Robert wouldn't stop drinking. She is 100% nonplussed, to use a 10-point vocabulary word, that the BAU suspects Robert was the original unsub. She seems to have suspected it herself. Back at the station, the BAU now thinks that Robert and Mary's son, Charlie Wilkinson, might be the unsub. Caulfield says Abby's favorite line in the entire show thus far. Do you want to share it? No, I'll let you do the honors. Okay. I don't know if I can do it justice, but I'll try. Are you suggesting there is a genetic predisposition to killing? (laughs) I kind of sound like Yoda. (laughs) And Hodge says it's one factor along with psychology and socialization. Mm Okay. Okay. Yeah, we'll get into it. I mean, the one thing where I'm like, this episode wants their cake and to eat it too, is they're like, well, it had to be Charlie because who else would have known about Robert Wilkinson when like the public didn't know. But like this whole nature versus nurture thing, like we just keep coming back to it again and again. Um, Garcia then discovers that Karen Foley was pregnant after her abduction, meaning that Robert Wilkinson may have been the father of her baby. So now there's two potential babies, two potential babies, uh, two potential suspects. The BAU show up at Karen Foley's house and accost her again. Prentice says, quote, we know you were raped by Robert Wilkinson and we know that you have a son because of it. We learn about Karen's son, Stephen. Prentice asks some really inappropriate and invasive questions. She asks Karen why she chose to have the child, which is frankly none of the FBI's goddamn business. Uh, her body, her choice. And Karen says, quote, I couldn't make my baby pay for what his father did. We learn that Stephen was just released from jail for DUI. So now Rossi thinks that Stephen is the unsub because being arrested for DUI is totally equivalent to raping, murdering, and dismembering women. Yeah, it's like the gateway. It's like marijuana. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Stephen comes home mid accost, and Rossi and Prentice then question him. And Rossi goes, quote, Does the name Robert Wilkinson meet? Oh, sorry can't believe I fucked. Does the name Robert Wilkinson mean anything to you? And Karen is like, please, like, we just talked about this. Don't tell my son. And Stephen is like, I already know. And she's like, how do you know? And Stephen is like, you never married. You never dated. I knew someone hurt you real bad. 
Then when I was cleaning out the garage, I found that article about the man who died in the farming accident. When you walked in the door and saw me holding the picture the way you looked at me, I just knew. And Karen's like, well, that was 10 years ago. Why didn't you say anything to me? Why'd you let me go on telling you stories about how great your father was? And Stephen is like, they were really good stories. And it's actually like a nice scene. I didn't, I didn't really explain that. But basically, like, Karen never told Stephen what happened. And she told him while he was growing up that his father had died in a motorcycle accident and that his father was a hero. Then Prentice asks Karen to relive what Robert Wilkinson did to her 27 years ago. I guess it was 28 years ago. Um, And as she tells this story, we see flashbacks on the screen. And she says, quote, I remember the first time he took me to the barn. He would cover my head so I didn't know where I was, but it didn't really matter. He kept me so high, I didn't know what day it was. He wanted me to dance for him. He would call it a party. One night he was so passed out that I realized the barn door was unlocked and the cuffs were undone so I could get away. She then went to the cops, uh, who didn't believe her story because she had a drug addiction, Um, she tells the BAU that she scratched a little peace symbol in the wall and that she would touch it every night. Meanwhile, the rest of the team show up at Charlie Wilkinson's house. So now this is Robert and Mary's son. They meet Chrissy Wilkinson, uh, who is Charlie's wife and she is very pregnant. She's going to have a baby. Baby. There's a barn on the property and it's very clearly the barn where the girls were held and made have a party with the honky tonk blues. guess the axe used to dismember the bodies even though specifically we were told there was microscopic tool marks and an axe is not a microscopic tool but okay um mary wilkinson shows up at the at, at the party i almost said mary wilkinson shows up on the property and then rossi berates her for her parenting She stands up to Rossi and tells Rossi that she tried to protect Charlie by not telling him about Robert, which in my mind was the correct thing to do, um, because I don't think there's any reason to tell your son that your father was a murdering psychopath, but I'm not a parent, so if you're a parent, sound off in the notes. But apparently Rossi, who is not a parent... Uh, thinks he knows better. He says, problem is, boy like Charlie, so much anger, so many questions, needs to know where he came from. He wouldn't quit until he knew. And then one day he figured it out. And then Mary's just like, I did not want my son to have the legacy that his father was a murderer. Hotch questions Chrissy Wilkinson about Charlie, her husband. She says she has no idea where Charlie is. Reed then finds Robert Wilkinson's murder diary locked in the closet downstairs. So I guess Charlie found it and then has used it as a guide for killing. 
Charlie, who is Mary's son, he is the unsub. Um, apparently, we also learned that he had killed a cat when he was younger, so he was already, quote, showing homicidal tendencies. Um, and the BAU believes that this diary from his father just further served to push him towards murder. Reed says the diary, quote, made him feel like it was okay, almost his birthright. Also, this discussion is had in a room with like old timey revolvers hanging on the walls, old timey portraits, a lamp with a lampshade that has a map on it, a sword on the wall right behind them when they're having this conversation, this big ass old looking sword. And I'm like, who found this place? (laughs) Like, what? What location scout scouted this? How? 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. It's great. BAU then asked Karen Foley and Steven to come to the cr- to come to the crime scene to see if Karen can find out where she was held captive. And I'm like, this is so fucking wildly inappropriate. So they have this woman has fully moved on with her life. She has, like, raised her son. She's got her own house. Like, clearly, she's moved past this. And in the span of one day, they have shown up at her house, told her she was a shitty parent, berated her for, like, not being honest about what happened to her, which was a traumatic experience. And now they're like, we, the FBI, we really need your help, Karen. Can you just turn up? And she does it. And I'm like, what the fuck? I'm... This is outrageous, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely outrageous. So Karen's freaking out. Um, And then there's this awkward moment when Karen sees Mary, Robert Wilkinson's wife, and then they face off. And Karen starts screaming at Mary. And Mary starts screaming at Karen. And Karen says... He tortured me every night. Could you hear my screams? Did you kiss him when he was finished with me? Why didn't you stop him? Why didn't you help? And Mary Stone Cold goes, I killed him. I came home and I saw this place and I knew what he had done. And I couldn't let my innocent baby be brought into this. So then Mary, Karen, and Stephen team up with the BAU and I guess fucking John Caulfield (laughs) to find Wilkinson's hidey hole. There are so many people right now involved. Karen was blindfolded when she was being brought from the barn back to what we know it's the cave, um, but they don't know that yet. So she's describing the way it felt when she walked and based off of what she describes, Mary notices that, well, Mary says it's the North side of the property. So the BAU turn up at the fancy cave and they free Tara and Molly and the girls are fine. But Charlie, the new unsub, is MIA. So cut to Charlie at the National Park. He's sitting on a bench and drinking a beer. If the area was being patrolled, he totally could have been apprehended. But again... Even though the BAU and the local police force knows that this is the park used. Like, I get it. A national park is a big place. But if you know that this is the park that the unsub dumps, always dumps the bodies in, wouldn't you, wouldn't you at least try? Would you try? 
It's like that one episode where uh, Gideon kept going on about how handsome he was. That forest was huge and they were still able to do, like, find him. They did a sting operation in that forest. Yes! Oh my god, I can't. Anyways, back to the National Park, which again, the police could have been there. This all could have been avoided, but no. Chrissy shows up. Chrissy, Charlie's pregnant wife. And I know there's so many people at this point, but again, Mary and Robert were married. Mary had Robert's kid, Charlie. Charlie's now a grown-ass man, day drinking on a bench in a shitty national park. Uh, And his pregnant wife shows up and she starts yelling at him. I almost had us act out this scene because it's so fucking funny. It's so funny, but I didn't. I chickened out at the last minute. This actress is so funny the way she delivers these lines. It's like way too calm. She's like, Charlie, the FBI is at the farm. No, it's even chiller than that. I have to calm down. Okay. Charlie. The FBI's at the farm. They went into the barn and they found a lot of blood. The sheriff says you killed those girls who have been missing. They have pictures and books and everything. What did you do to those girls? Did you rape them? We're starting a family. <laughs> and then she big freaking shoots him. <laughs> It's so funny. (laughs) Oh, God. Okay, so obviously she's repeating the cycle that Mary Wilkinson did with Robert, where she killed Robert for the good of her baby. And then back at BAU headquarters in Quantico, Hotch is served with divorce papers. Okay. Should I just jump in? Yeah, just jump in. So I was like, hmm... What am I going to talk about with this episode? And then I was like, hmm, what if I talked about, you know, genetic predispositions? And I was like, what's a good connection for that? Oh, yes, Riverdale. (laughs) So I don't know how many of our listeners here are avid fans of the CW joy and disaster that is Riverdale, but I am obsessed with the hot mess that that show is because they, like, you've watched it, right? Oh, yeah. I haven't seen the most recent season, but I do love it, and I do love Cole Sprouse, and I would die for him. But that Cole Sprouse monologue where he's like, I'm different. I'm not like the other. I'm weird. In case you haven't noticed, I'm weird. I'm a weirdo. I don't fit in. And I don't want to fit in. Have you ever seen me without this stupid hat on? That's weird. In case you haven't noticed, I'm weird. I'm a weirdo. I don't fit in. And I don't want to fit in. Have you ever seen me without this stupid hat on? That's weird. End of scene. Anyways, we're going to talk about Riverdale because Riverdale decided to whip out a plot point that I don't think any of us ever saw coming, which is Betty Cooper has apparently the, quote, serial killer gene. 
And guys, don't worry, we're going to connect this. This is related, but because this, this is all about having a genetic predisposition. So in Riverdale, they talk about how she possesses something which is the serial killer gene or uh, monoamine oxidize A, which is uh, um, which abbreviated as MAOA. Um, and in the show, they're like, oh my gosh, you know, Betty, you have this, which means that she has a predisposition to violence. And that becomes, like, a whole plot point. But here's the thing, like, um, M-A-O-A, or MAOA, I don't know if you're supposed to, I think it's just, I'm just going to say M-A-O-A, is a real gene. And real, some people do believe that it is a basis of violent behavior, but it is a lot, there is a lot more than just that. And apparently it's kind of controversial. So basically, MAOA is a gene that is responsible for breaking down molecules, specifically neurotransmitters. We know that neurotransmitters uh, change your mood and emotion and sleep and appetite. And that's why everyone's like, this gave me serotonin. Which is actually not true. They would give me, if you're happy, it'd be giving you dopamine, but like, whatever. Without MAOA, these important transmitters can build up in the brain and make it hard for someone to control their impulses, which can lead to aggressive behavior or violent outbursts, which is sometimes why it's called the, quote, warrior gene. But it's, like, kind of apparently, according according to this article, which says most scholars find this term pejorative or disrespectful, so they choose not to use it. It basically increases the likelihood that a person possesses that this they will engage in physical aggression and a response to provocation where they have experienced a lot of traumatic earlyhood, like, early childhood events. Which means... That technically, Betty Cooper could be like this because she apparently has experienced traumatic childhood events. But again, it doesn't actually like determine if you're going to be like that. It's like, you know, it's not a set in stone, yes, you're going to be violent or anything. It does tend to be more common in men, which Riverdale also gets right or accurate. Um, it is considered an X-linked, uh, condition, so it's recessive and it's harder for women with two X chromosomes to end up with it. But of course, you know, genetics are only, you know, they only play so much of a role. It's also very affected by environmental factors. Um, so people who have a lot or have had a lot of intense traumatic early childhood events, they're more likely to show increased rates of a physical aggression later in life. But so is like, you know, social behavior manifests in really different ways. So it's kind of like they're saying it's kind of unfair to be like, oh, so you're going to be violent now because you have this gene because your personal life, your social, everything is, you know, it's all tangled up with each other. So you might be able to find serial killers with MAOA, but like, you don't, you can't say that is the sole reason that you're a serial killer. And also there are probably substantially more serial killers who don't have this genetic predisposition. 
I just think that's really interesting. Um, and I also think like the ongoing conversation of like nature versus nurture is also interesting. But also the, some people say it's not even nature versus nurture. Some people say it's nature and nurture. Um, because you really can't say one of them is, you know, solely responsible. I do like that Criminal Minds bothered to have Hotch come out and say, I was abused and I'm not an abuser. But then it's like they don't come back to it or I can't remember if they come back to it. I mean, same with Morgan. Yeah. Oh, shit. I forgot about that. I, I think the problem is that they have to like they're trying to find reasons for every serial killer. And I wish they didn't, you know, just let people be evil. Should we rate this episode? Yes, we should rate this episode because you're hungry and we have to record another episode after this. I didn't care for this episode very much. I'm just going to come out and say that now. Like, I thought it was interesting and I was invested, but I was not impressed. We've seen a lot better. Yes. Um, in terms of the criminal slash serial killer, this is not the purpose of the show, but I almost think it would have been cooler if they had just solved a cold case. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I I got less interested when I saw there was like a history lesson with this. I guess for the criminal slash serial killer, we have to consider both Robert Wilkinson and Charlie Wilkinson. Um, what do you think in terms of points? I was just gonna say it's a solid 10. Okay, that's fine with me. Hotch gets divorced, but that's not until the last two seconds. Yeah, character development, character arcs. Oh, and JJ is fucked up during this episode. Like, this one just hits her a certain way. Like, is there's no real explanation for why, which I thought was pretty interesting. She just was like, it, it got her in the feels, you know, as one does. I think we should give points for that because, like, I I think that that's a very humanizing thing to show. Also, Jeff is on the fucking move right now. Jeff is knocking over things. Jeff Little stopped. Jeff. Uh, what about 15? Sounds good to me. Forensics and context? Honky tonk. <laughs> That was a choice. I know. I love the fact that Robert was also calling it a party. This sounds fucked up to say, but I kind of wish we saw more of that. Like, why did it have to be a party, you know? I don't know, but I find the choice to be interesting. And I find the choice that, like, Charlie also mirrored that to also be interesting. Yeah, I just wish we, I wish we got to explore more of that as opposed to, like, the who could it be, like, kind of thing. Like, I feel like that, like, why did he want them to dance to Honky Tonk? Like, I just, which is, again, I feel messed up for saying, but there was a lot of loose ends and, like, curious little, like, threads in here that we never got answered. Yeah, also, like, he supposedly, at at least Charlie kept women for six weeks. That's a long time to keep someone captive. Yeah, yeah. And he, like, brought them to the barn every night with his pregnant wife in the house. Like, there are definitely, like, things that are, like, questionable and interesting. Also, the microscopic tool marks. Bro, he used an axe. There's nothing microscopic about an axe. Like, this isn't bones. 
Okay, so should we give it a lot of points or not many points? I really like the background characters, like, a lot. Um, Not all of them, but I think Forensics and Context can get a lower score. Do you want to give it, like, a seven? Yeah, that's fine. Script writing. They packed a lot into this episode. I liked the opening of this episode a lot. Yeah, it's definitely creepy. It's paced quickly. There are too many characters. John Caulfield could have done without him, to be honest. I love The Bachelor, but yeah. Why introduce Sheriff Valentine just to drop him? Like, it was just for the exposition. It was way too many characters that I had to worry about. And, like, even I got confused talking about it. But I do think that a lot of the things that the characters said were great, but I hate that the BAU was so aggressive with victims of abuse. And again, we we say survivors, but like, you know, I just didn't like the way every member of the BAU was treating these women. I don't know. I want to give background characters a high score, but for script writing, I'm unsure. Why don't we give background characters a 20? Yes. And script writing, do you want to give it like a 12? Yeah. 64. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. And today I was specifically working on uploading our episode recaps to our website. So that's something we will be publicizing more. But because we take all this time to write the episodes up, why not share it with you so hard of hearing um, Criminal Minds fans can enjoy it too. And you can. And like we literally have all of the notes, all of the characters' names, all of the plot points, and like most of all, we have the profiles written out. So I think it would be fun for people to check those out, and we'll have links in our, our bio. Yeah, so it's not like a transcript of exactly what we are, we always say, because, you know, National Conversation, this is a partially improv podcast, but it has all of our notes that we take during it, um, and I will be going through and editing all of mine, because mine are full of spelling errors and grammatical errors, even though I do have a full English degree. Uh, anyways, you can follow us on such podcasts on all of the social medias. Buy our merch, Tee Public Store link in the notes. Follow me, yournewapartment.tumblr.com, where I am there every day, posting, vlogging. Follow me at my very inactive Instagram and podcast, between Stage and Screen Podcasts. Um, and you guys can also shoot us an email if you have questions or concerns or thoughts or anything at Unsub's Podcast. Is that it? Unsub's or is it Unsub's Podcast? Oh, shit. Unsub's Podcast at gmail.com. gmail.com. So, um, peace out, guys, and get ready for a really bad Boston accent all of next episode. <laughs>